morning, Robertson Avenue Baptist Church. How are you this morning? Okay, well, I hope you're better by the end of the service. Okay, let's just have that as our starting point. Good morning, good morning. Um, So great to see your shining faces today. We have um, quite a few announcements. Thank you so much for all who came out and participated yesterday in the OCC um, fundraiser. It was uh, a fun time. And then also Thursday night we had a great church turnout for the um, Chick-fil-A fundraiser. We're so grateful for your participation in that as well. This evening we have the Victor Potter practice at 4.30, so if you're participating in that or you want to participate, please feel free to join in. Um, we have a new live stream video option now, so we have the Facebook and we have Sermon.net, and we also have a YouTube um, under RABC Sound Booth. So if you're uh, preferential to YouTube, check that out as well. We will be uh, starting a Lottie Moon uh, mission uh, donation, so be praying about how you might can uh, put an offering toward that. And then um, we will also be doing a Thanksgiving turkey outreach. So instead of doing the whole baskets for families as we've done in the past, we're going to try to cover more territory kind of with just doing turkey drops. So um, we have some connections in the community that we're trying to see how many we can provide for or how many are needed. So if you want to um, donate a turkey, please feel free to do that. You can see me, and I can make arrangements to have storage for that. Or you can make a monetary donation for that, and I will be providing uh, envelopes for turkeys. Or you can just write it on the current offering envelope turkey uh, drive. And then um, we will be participating... um, in food for families, if you uh, want to drop off your non-perishable food items, we will have a box in the back um, for that, and that's we're just going to um, take that box to the ATV food for families. And there's some flyers on the back table there in the foyer, um, and you can see all the details about that. You can also drop it off at HEB if you don't want to do it here, but we will have a collection box for that as well. Um, and then for Operation Christmas Child, the theme box, competition is still going on. Um, BJ Logue is the contact person for that to get your hard plastic container. Um, details are on a flyer also in the back of the foyer um, with all of the competition um, rules and things like that. But these boxes are so handy because these children oftentimes have never received a gift and they don't have much of their own. So the hard plastic box provides something that they get to keep as their own. So it's an extra treasure as well as all of the little surprises that are inside and filled. Um, and then we will be having uh, the packing party for the for the boxes of all the things that we've collected and the donations that we've been given um, on November 8th. That will be on Sunday night. So come and join us. Always a great, great fun time of fellowship for that. And then following that, the National Collection Week will be the November 16th through the 23rd, and it will be here. We will have different um, times of day. Um, and so be praying about how you can participate in that for just, a, you know, a two-hour stint to be able to receive boxes. We'll have a drop-off in the um, parking lot if people don't want to bring their boxes in. And then you can pray for the boxes as they come in. It's a really awesome uh, experience and opportunity. So be looking at how you can volunteer and participate in that. We will also be having a youth night on October 31st, um, the afternoon and evening um, at 3 to 7. And there will be lots of Nerf games and um, fun activities for the youth. So they're very excited to be having um, it to be our first get-together since all of the COVID things. So praise the Lord that we're able to offer that for our youth, which is growing. Um, So bring a friend to that as well or tell other people about it. All right. That is.
will be it for today. Thank you. In the scripture saying in Jeremiah that he has a future, he will not abandon us. I was born in the Philippines and growing up in a poor family and living in a tiny house, no stove, we just used wood and cooking. And growing up, um, I did not receive any gift. Sometimes we go to bed empty stomach. And when I was a child, I have favorite memory verse. It says in the scriptures in Psalms 57, 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. I decided to have my own crying, but my mom could not afford something like that. One day, our pastor inviting us for an event for the church, I saw this big brown and so my teacher handed me the shoe box. I'm so excited to open it. Teacher counted three, two, one, and then we opened it together with the other two. And when I opened the shoe box, I saw a lot of items in there, like the hygiene, I have a washcloth, pencils, and I have stock toys. And in my joy, I see a full box of crayons. I am grateful in that moment, knowing that there is people who pass a shoebox here for me. And I am blessed because they uh, send me a box of gifts that brings joy for me. I become uh, a training teacher of the greatest journey, and it's impacted to me because I see those children going to church with their families, and I see their smiles and joy in their eyes that when they receive um, the shoe boxes that I felt when I was received. I moved in the United States in 2016. I got married and I have two kids. And so I become a yearly volunteer for shoe boxes in our church. I am so grateful for being involved in this ministry and Operation Christmas Child, knowing that through passing shoe boxes, I am allowing children all over the world to the love of Christ and bring joy to them.
morning. If you have your Bibles with you, open up your feet to the book of Second Samuel. Second Samuel. We begin our second sermon in the series, Superheroes to Jesus. Before we begin, though, a little housekeeping I want to share out with you. I want to remind each and every one of you that Robinson Avenue Baptist Church does not allow any pagan decorations in our classrooms or for any celebrations we may have. So please keep those things in mind and please uh, remember the environment that we're in. So we greatly appreciate that. Keep us in prayer in that. All right. With that being said, let's take a look at Superheroes of Jesus Part 2. So hopefully you're with me in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But I want to remind you a little bit about last week. Remember last week we began our sermon series, Superheroes of Jesus. We were looking at Joseph. And Joseph was our picture of running away from sin. In fact, he had to run away from sin just as fast as his legs would carry him. By the way, isn't this much better? You can actually see me. You know what's more better? I can see you. Amen? Blessed be the name of the Lord. So somebody heard my prayer and the pulpit got about six inches smaller. I say, blessed be the name of the Lord. See, our God can do anything. Amen? If He can turn water into wine, He can make a pulpit six inches smaller. Blessed be the name of the Lord. But as we look into superheroes to Jesus, please remember last week to be to be to become a superhero to Jesus. The first thing you need to do is start running away from sin. You're going to find that sin is usually the problem in all of our relationships. Go like this, church. That means Amen. That's almost always a problem. It's your problem in your relationship with your wife. It's a problem in your relationship with the people around you. It's a problem in your relationship with God. And most of us want to blame somebody else, but deep down inside, it's our own choices and it's our own sin that causes that problem. So be a Joseph. Get on you the legs of Joseph. And when sin comes to you, just run away from it. Amen? Does that sound easy? But it's not, isn't it? <laughs> run away from sin as fast as you can. So this week we'll consider one of my favorite guys in the Old Testament. And we hardly ever look at him. His name is Uriah the Hittite. Uriah the Hittite. Now, Uriah the Hittite is a very special guy. Number one, he's not a Hebrew, is he? He's a, he's a Hittite. In fact, if you go back in the Torah, back in God's law, Hittites weren't allowed to enter the congregation of the Lord to the tenth generation. So Uriah had a stigma already against him. He was a little bit taboo. Let me say that again. He's a little bit taboo. Now, remember last week we stressed over and over again, Joseph was a good-looking guy. Let me stress again and again to you that Uriah is a little bit taboo. Let me say that again. Uriah is a little bit taboo. So he's a guy that is kind of misunderstood. He's a mighty man of valor. He's one of those guys that, uh, well, he's a man's man. Let's just be honest with you. He's a tough guy. He's not a Hebrew. and He's a soldier in David's army. So with that being said, I think we're kind of caught up to where we should be. And we're going to find out that Uriah is going to get caught up in David's sin. But he's innocent and he's ignorant as to what David has done. Let's go to the Lord in prayer, shall we? Father God, we come to you now in Jesus' name. Thank you for the opportunity to be in your house, Lord, this morning. And I pray, Lord, that you take charge of this time. That if there be anybody who needs to give their hearts to you and become a Christian, Lord, would you let this morning be the morning? I pray, Father, if there be any Christians here that have given their hearts to sin, that today would be the day, Lord, they repent and come back home. I also pray, Father God, if there be any here that need to be a part of the family you've given us, the Robinson Avenue, would you let this morning be the morning. We give you the praise, honor, and glory, even now, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Uriah the Hittite is caught up in David's sin. 
is innocent and ignorant of what David has done, and he gets caught up. How many of us truly believe, now don't raise your hand, but how many of us truly believe that our sin is what we do to ourselves? And it only affects us. But I want you to know, biblically, your sin affects everybody around you. It affects your family. It affects your children. It affects your wife. It affects your husband. It might even affect your dog nowadays. Somebody say amen. But like this in the Baptist church, right? It affects everything around you. Sin destroys everything. And let me tell you right now, if you go back in the Old Testament, when sin enters the world, death comes in. Despair comes in. Sickness and disease comes in. You know the mask you're wearing on the face of the world? Ought to be a stark reminder that sin is the problem. Somebody say amen. Sin has always been the problem. It will always be the problem. And it's never going to be fixed and it's never going to be corrected until Jesus comes back. You say, well, what about God? What about me getting better myself? You can't do it. You need a Savior. You need Jesus Christ. One of these days when He comes back, He's going to make this world right. And those of us that have accepted Jesus, those of us that have submitted to Jesus, those of us that have made Him Lord and Savior are going to be living with Him. And so that's my invitation to you this morning is come to know Jesus Christ. In fact, that's my entire job is to lead you to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, Uriah is caught up in David's sin, but he didn't know. So look with me in 2 Samuel chapter 11. We'll start in verses 1 through 3. I'll give you a second to turn there. I'd love to hear those pages turn. Look with me here in verse 1. The Bible says, It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house. And from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, Is this not Bathsheba? the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Let's stop right there for just a second. And let's consider a few things the Bible tells us. Number one, we look in verse one, we find out that there's a time that was set for kings to go to battle. I didn't get a lot of response on that. There's a time set for kings to go to battle. How many of you know that there should be a time set in your life for you to go to battle. That means a time for you to pray in your life, a time for you to read God's Word in your life, a time for you to start doing God's will, and there's a time for you to be about God's business. Somebody say amen. We forget that sometimes, you know. We often think about teams going to battle. We think of, you know, it's like football season or baseball season or track and field season. Wrong. You're at battle every day, every minute, every hour of your life if you're a Christian. And there's a time for you to get in God's Word. There's a time for you to be in church. Somebody say amen. We're neglecting that nowadays. There's a time for us to be about God's business. And David somewhere has forgotten that. So when kings go out to battle, David said, I'm staying home. You know what that means you was? That means you was a Baptist deacon. Somebody go like this. <laughs> That's revenge for all the short jokes I've had here lately. Remember, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, right? <laughs> Here's David. He decides to stay home when he should have been out with his troops. And they go out and besiege the city of Rabbah. But David remains in Jerusalem. When you stay behind in what God is doing, you're going to find yourself out of God's will. That doesn't take a genius to figure that out, does it? When you stay behind 
from what God is doing. How many of us do it to ourselves too? I don't want to be a part of what God's doing. I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. I feel like somebody's going to find out. Hello, they already know. <laughs> and so did David's truth. How do we know this? Because look with me in verse 2. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. Let me give you a little word of explanation here. Bathsheba, bat in Hebrew, means daughter. Shabbat means the seventh daughter or the perfect daughter or the beautiful girl. So we have the beautiful daughter here. We have the perfect daughter here. We can see some similarities in Yosef, which is the perfect son, if you will, the seventh son. Yosef. And we have Bathsheba bathing. Bathing herself according to the law of Moses. That means after her cycle, she would go out and cleanse herself so she returned to her husband. David goes up on top of the house and watches her purify herself. The Bible tells us in verse 2 that he goes back inside and he starts asking questions. You know what I think is funny? Because everybody in the castle knew who Bathsheba was. Everybody did. And David had no problem finding out who she was. I can imagine how that was that day. If he walked in that house, into his castle, into his palace, he said, whoa, who's that good-looking gal out there in the water? They were like, I don't know who that is. That's Bathsheba. Amen or oh me. And David was no exception. David was no exception. So David, in verse 3, sent and inquired about the woman. And someone said, is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? They knew who she was married to. They knew who her daddy was. They knew where she was going to be. They knew what she was going to be doing. Sounds like a bunch of stalkers to me. True. So we can already see David's got a problem. Not just that, but he's surrounded himself with people who have a problem. You're going to find out that when you let sin get in your life, the people of God, you're going to say, you can go on without me, but the people of sin, you're going to say, hey, what's going on? Did you know, listen to me now, did you know that sin will keep you from this book? But this book can keep you from sin. It's time for you to get back in God's Word. It's time for you to go out with God's people. It's time for you to get back into worship. It's time for you to realize you're in a battle and you need to go out with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and wage war against the devil. Amen? Quit staying behind looking for Bathsheba. She ain't number trouble. Look with me in verse 4. Then David sent messengers and took her came to him, and he lay with her. So she was cleansed from her impurity, like I was saying. And she returned to her house. And the woman conceived, so she sent and told David and said, I am with child. Can you imagine David that day? And he gets a note from her. I can imagine David's little pit squeed on the throne going, ah! What? What? Let me tell you, the Bible's clear on this. Your sin will find you out. Uh, David was no exception. This was the psalmist of Israel. This was the giant slayer. This was the man who wrote, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. You get caught up in something like this. So she sends a note and says, Guess what, David? Guess what, pal? David panicked. The Bible says in verse 6, David sent to Joab, that's his general, saying, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent Uriah 
to David. Now, he says, where are we going with this? We need this superhero for you. So hang on for just a minute. Let's read just a little bit more and find out what happens here. Let's skip down to verse 14. In the morning, it happened that David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of, of Uriah. And he wrote in the letter, saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him, that he may be struck down and die. So, we're in a Baptist church this morning, so I guess we have to have three points. Is there a law on that somewhere? Is there a church constitution that has three points and a point? Maybe so. So anyway, we're going to have three this morning. So let's take a look here at our very first one right here. As you can see, David was a religious guy. He was somebody who trusted God. He was somebody who worshipped God. And I believe he was saved. And I believe he was sincere. I just believe he got caught up in sin. And most of you can agree with that right there because some of us have been caught up in sin. And if you haven't been caught up in sin, then here's the problem that you might have in your life you haven't admitted it yet. Okay? All of us have. Every one of us have. And every one of us are going to have that battle. The difference is, is David was trying to keep it secret. And God doesn't like it when we keep things secret. God wants you to come out, repent of your sin, make it public that you have a Savior whose blood can cover anything. Somebody say amen. They have a Savior whose grace can cover anything. You have a Savior who can pull down any walls. You have a Savior who can redeem anybody. You have a Savior who is all-powerful and all-sufficient. He doesn't want you to keep that secret. David decided to keep that secret. So we're finding out a little bit about Uriah. And I don't want to focus too much on David this morning. I'm going to focus in on Uriah and get kind of secret hero to Jesus. Let's take a look at this in point number one. We need to learn to be faithful to God even when the religious people around us aren't. Even when the religious people around us aren't. You're going to find that there's nothing more hypocritical than church folks. I'm not being mean. I'm not putting out there. You know, when I was a young Christian, what we used to say? We used to say, the Christian army is the only army in the world that kills their own wounded. Isn't that crazy? But there's some truth to it, too, isn't it? You know why? Because it's things. We've all done it. We've all said, man, I ain't doing what that person did. And then uh, six months later, we're doing it. Doing this. Yeah. And so here's Uriah. He has no idea what's going on. He trusts in the Lord. He's been accepted into God's family, into God's house, into the armies of Israel. And if you don't know any better, that's the armies of the living God. And church, he's hanging out with David. He's hanging out with Joab. He's been around Nathan the prophet, and he's seen God do wonderful things in his life. And he has no idea what David does. He has no idea what his Jewish wife is doing at home. But he's still being faithful. How do we know that? Because he went out with the armies of God to take on the enemies of God. Well, we need to be right now. Did you know we've got enemies in top of shows? We got enemies begins with an F. Satan. We got enemies begin with an L. Lucifer. We got enemies here in Coppercoat that begin with D. The devil. And it's time for us to get out there, find them, fight them. They're at work right here in Coppercoat, telling people they can't be saved, they can't be redeemed, they can't be forgiven. Well, we got a Savior who can do anything. Hallelujah. Amen. Uriah was faithful, and he went out to fight them. And he went out even when religious people are against him. Let's take a look at what happens with him. After David finds out Bathsheba, Bathsheba is pregnant. So let's look at verse 10. I know we jump around just a little bit, but I want to build up our, our uh, picture here. Verse 10. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house. Remember, 
He had told Uriah, come and spend some time with me. He told Joab, send Uriah to Hittite. And by the way, Uriah does. He comes. He walks down faithful. And this is in day and age where they don't have cars. How many of y'all find that hard to believe, right? They didn't have cars. They didn't have internet. They didn't have Zoom. That means he had to come back to where the battle was. Chances are he didn't have a horse either. That means he rode a camel or a donkey. Kind of slow going. So he gets there. Can you imagine what it would be like if you're out there in a battle and then Joab, the main general, comes up to you? He says, I got a note that says you need to go see the king. Don't you remember those days when you were in school and you got a note that said you need to go see the principal? You're thinking, what did I do? What's going on here? And you're scared to death. Well, Uriah is no exception. And he starts going home. I can imagine every night he can't. He was sitting there thinking, what is he going to say to me? What is he going to do? Is he going to commend me or is he going to condemn me? When he finally gets there, and you know what King David said? How things go when you're my buddy, you're my pal, you're my friend. Why don't you go home and spend some time with your wife? Because you don't want to cover this thing. Well, the Bible tells us Uriah does not do that. So when they told David, saying, Uriah did not go down to his house, David said to Uriah, Did you not come from a journey? Why did you not go down to your house? If you'll read the Torah, if you'll read the law of God, when you're in a holy war, that is one of the prohibitions. You can't lie carnally with your wife. And Uriah knew this. And Uriah, even though he wasn't a Jew, he said, I will not defile the armies of the living God. And they've accepted me in just like one of them. That means I'm going to act like one of them. I'm going to believe like one of them. I'm going to do what they're doing. And I want to be a part of the armies of the living God. And look at Uriah. Look at Uriah. He said, I'm going to be faithful. How many of us can be faithful when no one knows? How many of us are faithful when no one's around? How many of us are faithful? Even when things are going bad. Here's Uriah. Man, I can't go down there. Take a look here in verse 11. Uriah said to David, The ark and Israel and Yehuda are dwelling in tents, and my lord Joab and the servants of my lord are encamped in the open field. Shall I then go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? As you live and as your soul lives, I will not do it. Could you imagine David panic again? <laughs> Could you imagine that again? As David begins to say, Oh my goodness, my plans are being thwarted. Right, he stays faithful, even when religious people say it's okay. How many of us have ever had that before? Have you ever had someone say, It's okay to seek revenge today? How many religious people have told you that? Well, I just wouldn't go back to that church, to that one person now. How many of us have had religious people say that? Don't go back there. Don't read that Bible. Don't get into prayer. Don't pray for your enemies. Don't pray for your president. Don't pray for your country. And you know what you need to be doing? You need to be in your ride and hit and become faithful even when things aren't going your way. Amen or oh me. Have you ever been there before? We just sang that song. In the presence of Jehovah. How many of us can stand in His presence even when things aren't going our way? Uriah did. He had no idea what's going on here. Let's skip down to verse 13. So David called him, and this is the second attempt. 
here because David's getting a little desperate, isn't he? The biological clock is ticking. And David's beginning to feel a little bit nervous. So David called him. He ate and drank before him. And guess what happened to him? He made him drunk, he and Uriah. He said, wait a minute. Uriah is sinning here. And yes, he is. We're not going to go ahead and shy away from that. But Uriah had no choice in what's happening. No more than that king has said, this is what's going to happen. This is what you're going to do. And that evening, he went out to lie on his bed. See, David's plan was, you'll get drunk, you'll go home to your house, and you won't know what happened. And you're going to wake up in the morning, and your wife's going to say, guess what, baby, I'm pregnant. Shoo, right? That's not what the Bible is like. The Bible says he goes out with the servants of David, but he did not go down to his house. Let's find out what happens next. doesn't go down, and you find out that Uriah becomes obedient, even unsaid. How many of us know, as we read through the Bible there, that Uriah is going to carry his own death sentence back to Joab in his own hands, in his very own hands? Let's look at First uh, Samuel chapter 15, verse 22. I'm sorry. Uh, let's take a look at verse 22. Says, so Samuel says, has the uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry, I lost my place here. He's obedient even unto death, and he carries his own death plan from David to Joab. Let's back up and take a look here at what happens here. Look with me in verse 13. And David called him, he ate and drank for him, and made him drink. The evening went to, uh, out to lie on his bed with the servants of the Lord, but he did not go down to his house. And the Bible's going to tell us that he's going to send Joab back with his own plan in his hand. Something must have been like as he's on his way back. He's going back with a special note to Joab. What would Uriah think? Wow. What kind of strategy would King David send? What kind of message? How important must this be? Could you imagine how he guarded that with his wife? Could you imagine every night as he sat there at the campfire thinking, if only I could just run this wax seal over the fire and it's seriously melt and I'll eat it. And I might know something the other people don't know. Could you put yourself in Uriah's place? No! Uriah stays faithful until he goes back to the army. He gives the plans to Joab and guess what happens? You know what the plans say? The plans say, and I quote from the Bible here, says, hey, put Uriah in the hottest part of the battle. And then everybody withdraw from Uriah and leave him alone to ensure How many of us would be willing to be obedient even unto death? We say it all the time, don't we? Like the Apostle Peter did. He said, Lord, I will die for you. And Jesus turned around and says, I'll tell you the truth. You're going to deny me too. How many of us need to learn the lesson of Uriah the Hittite? And we tell everybody all the time, I'm a devout and devoted Christian. The moment everybody's gone, we're opening up the plan, saying, what's going on in there? I got enough. Uriah stayed faithful and stayed obedient even till he died. Let's take a look at what the Bible says about that. Look at 1 Samuel 15, 22. I know we're jumping around a little bit, so forgive me in that. So verse 22 of 1 Samuel 15 says, So Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices 
as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Remember, Uriah was obedient unto death. And here's Samuel the prophet saying, God has no greater satisfaction than when one of his children obeys. It's better than sacrifice. In fact, an obeying heart is sacrifice. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of Look at what the New Testament says about it. Look with me in James 4, verse 7 and 8. The Bible says, Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Think about Uriah, how he was obedient unto death. If you're going to start being a superhero for Jesus, you've got to put two facts in your life. Number one, when sin comes your way, you've got to become a Joseph and start running away from it. Two, and when God calls you to do something, even if you don't like it, you've got to keep going, even though it means the death of things in your life. Uriah was no exception. Uriah was that example for us. As he carried his death plans back to Joab, you say, Josh, you saying I need to physically die? What I'm saying is there's a time in Christian life that we need to die for what we want. We need to die to the way things are. And we need to start doing God's will in our lives. It's time for us to be Uriah the Hittite. Sometimes that means we have to say goodbye to unhealthy relationships, doesn't it? you got to say, uh, that relationship needs to die. you have a relationship with alcohol this morning that needs to die? Uriah was no exception to that. Somebody say amen. You have an unhealthy relationship with something else in your life and it needs to die. Would you carry those death plans back to the dead? Would you do that this morning? Would you listen to the book of James? Submit to God. If you submit to God, you're being obedient to God. If you'll submit to God, you'll find yourself resisting the devil. Have you been under attack lately? I've had a lot of people come to my office and say, Pastor, the last couple of weeks we've been spiritually attacked by the devil over and over and over again. And I want to tell you, resist the devil and he's going to flee from you. It's been forever and ever. We get the legs of Joseph and us and run away. But if we'll resist the devil, the devil's going to get the legs of Joseph and run away. So like this, that means amen in a Baptist church. The Bible says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Understand the scriptural precepts here. The Bible says, you draw near to God. Don't wait for God to draw near to you. You draw near to God, and then he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Uriah the Hittite. He also appears in the New Testament. He also appears in the New Testament. So he's not mentioned very often. In fact, my favorite mention of him is in Matthew chapter 1. I love what happens in Matthew chapter 1. Matthew's given the lineage of Jesus. The reason why he's doing this is not to say, well, he's a physical man, or that he's somebody you could trace to his ancestry back because he's a real Jew. No, 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 no. He's given it back to show that he had direct lineage to King David. He's why it does it. Matthew's intent is to reach Jewish people. The Jewish people know the Messiah will come from the lineage of David. That's a promise from God. That promise from God says that the children of David, there will not be a man of Judah who will not sit on the throne. It's not going to happen. And so, the Jews knew this, and Matthew wants to 
show that in there. But he shows something in here about Uriah the Hittite that I think is fascinating. I think it's phenomenal. That I think we all need to learn from. Look at me in verse 6 of Matthew chapter 1. We're going through the, the genealogy, the lineage of Jesus. The Bible says in verse 6, And Jesse begot David the king. David begot Solomon. Now let me stop for just a second, because I like to have a little bit of fun. You know how to say Solomon in Hebrew? Shalomo. <laughs> Shalomo. When's the last time you've been called Shlomo? You say, well, I don't call that a good name, Josh. You know, Shlomo usually had that name that said wise person, didn't it? Nowadays, you call somebody a Shlomo, it's an insult, isn't it? You know why? Because Solomon was the wisest person in the world. But before his life was over, he had given his heart to idolatry, and he had let go of that wisdom. How did he do that? Well, you know what happened, church? He allowed outside influences to come in and distort his relationship with God. And we do that all the time. We do that when we compromise with the world. We do that when we compromise with sin. We do that when we allow sin to bring into our lives. And you say, well, I can handle it. You know the truth? You can't handle it. The only one who could ever handle it was Jesus. Somebody say amen. He's the only one that ever could. He's the only one that ever can. And so you need to go straight to Jesus. Read the Bible again. Resist the devil, he will flee from you. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Here is Solomon. The Bible says, David the king begot Solomon by her who had been the wife of Uriah. Why doesn't Matthew give Bathsheba's name? Why? Why? think about that all the time. I do anyway, but the Bible says, why isn't Bathsheba's name there? Why is Uriah's name there? Well, I'm not even doing it. He's a Hittite. He's a Hittite. Hittites weren't known for being spiritual, were they? Hittites were known for worshiping Baal. Hittites were known for worshiping idols. They were known for things that weren't godly. They were known for a brutality that the world still hasn't seen since the days of the Christians. Is this Uriah's name? In the Bible. In the lineage of Jesus Christ. In the genealogy. What's going on here? I want to back up. I want to reiterate. I want to be a superheroes for Jesus. And by the way, God's calling us all to be superheroes for Jesus. Wouldn't it be cool if we could just rip off our shirt and have that big letter S under there and go, it wouldn't be great, but we can't. What you can do, though, is get on your knees and begin to pray. What you can do, though, is draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. What you can do is desire and covet the presence of God in your life. You can start saying, I want God in and through of me, and wherever I go, I want someone to know God is with that man. God's with that man. Over and over and over again in these 
five years of God. Jesus over and over and over again said, I have come to do the will of my Father. He said, Father, if you could take this cup away, please do so. But not my will, thy will be done. And I thank you all of my heart. I believe. some mighty man of valor named Uriah the Hittite spent those days walking back to Joab with a letter in his hand, a letter that condemned him to death, a letter that said, kill this man because he will expose my sin. And Uriah
God, and He will draw near to you, and the devil will flee from you. If it's time for you to become a superhero for Jesus, start saying no to sin. Start saying yes to God. Start running from sin and start obeying, even to the point where everybody falls away from you. Hallelujah. Be a Uriah the Hittite this morning. Doesn't that sound weird in the Baptist church? Be a Hittite. It does, though, doesn't it? Be a Uriah. Be a Uriah. I love Uriah. And here he is in Matthew. Look at the genealogy. We know that he's born of a virgin, and we know that he doesn't carry on Uriah's gene and trace, if you will. But we do know this. I believe he was put in there to show us a normal, average, non-religious guy like Uriah can choose to obey. So can you. So can I. So can Robinson. And you know what? That's your battle. You're going to find that Christians will go with you until you start witnessing. They'll be like, well, I'm leaving. Well, I guess. You're going to find that when you decide to do God's will, everybody else is going to say, well, I'm going back over here and leave you alone. How many of you know the spiritual truth? The closer you get to the cross, the smaller the crowd comes. The smaller they get. Let me give you some biblical examples of that. Let me show you out here. Jesus starts out. He gets just a few disciples. It grows into 12. The Bible tells us eventually he's got up to 70 disciples following him. He sends them all out. Then he starts feeding people. Because it's a Baptist church. Well, I guess. He starts feeding, right? He feeds the 5,000. The 5,000 say, hey! This is a religious thing to do. And Jesus says, get on out of here. See, Jesus isn't interested in the size of the crowd. Jesus is interested in the size of the commitment. Amen? Then he feeds the 4,000. Then the 70 are there. They're rejoicing at what's happening. And then Jesus goes on in John chapter 8 to tell them, hey, you need to become one with me. You need to start communing with me. And they say, that's a hard teaching. And they start falling away as well. And it's down to just Jesus and the 12. Then we have Gethsemane. And there's only one left.
give you a personal, personal truthfulness. Are you ready for this? If God's going to tell us some kind of sin you did, and I'm going to tell you a sin about Becky. Everybody look at Becky. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But I'm going to tell you something about the Holy Spirit. See, one day, Becky and I had a teeny tiny Chevrolet Metro. You know what that is? That's a wallet-sized car. With all we could afford, Becky worked in Walmart. She was a pharmacy technician. I was a pastor at Olin Baptist Church. We had absolutely positively no money. I was still in school. We had no money, but this car was small. It was good on gas, and we had approximately six dollars. Now, back in 1999, year 2000, six dollars was a lot of gas. Yeah, we need those days back, don't we? We do. That was a lot of gas, and that gave us almost a full tank. We were supposed to go see my mom. Which was, I think it was Thanksgiving Day or Christmas Day, one of those, one of those wonderful holidays. And so we stopped on the way, and we put gas in the car with our last six dollars, five dollars in change. That was pretty close to six dollars. It was almost all change, nickel, dime. And I remember the gas station guy. He was like, "Really, man?" I was like, "Hey, it's legal currency, you know." But he took it. Thank God for it. And uh, we started driving to Mom's house. And you know, anything about Brownwood. You gotta go through a little town called Early. And then you turn right out on I think it's three seven seven there. Uh, and then you go through a little town called Zephyr. And by the time we got to Zephyr, I had preached there a couple of times at this church. There's fifth quarters and things like that. There's a Bible now as a, a young seminary student there. And I kept telling Becky, there's something wrong. We have to turn around. And Becky kept saying, We're a good twenty miles now from our house, twenty, twenty five miles. To go back we, we, we wouldn't have the gas. Brownwood was about 130 miles from where my parents lived. And Becky said, if we turn around, we won't have the gas. And I said, I don't know what it is. We have to turn around. We have to. And Becky said, what's the matter? Did you leave the iron on? She had an old gas heater. You had to actually turn it off. You had to turn the gas off too as well. Or you come back home and your whole house would smell like gas in a few hours. You know, she had to turn everything off. She said, did you leave the heater on? She said, I don't know, but we have to turn around. I was compelled to turn around. So we turned around and first had the church in Bethlehem and drove the 17 miles back until we got 35, 40 miles before we got back to the house. We pulled into our gravel driveway. There was a man sitting on a front porch. And I got out of the car and said, Hi, can I help you? He said, Oh, Brother Josh. I'm so glad you came back. I've been praying for God to take you off. I'm going to tell you something. Here, Uriah, the God speaks, you obey. When God tells you to do something, even if it means the death of everything around you, you do it. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. And I'd love to be able to finish that story and say, and I led him to Jesus, but that's not what happened. He was all upset that his sister had died. Apparently, he was one of the local judges who told his sister she was in a town called Blanket, which is in between. Comanche and, and early. There used to be an old joke there about there's nothing between Comanche and early but a blanket. And these people were used to say, and you know, he told us he had gotten hit by a train or something like that. And oh, I just bought it at hook, line, and sinker. And I was able to minister to him, counsel with him, and I didn't have any money. But I promised him, hey, man, we'll pray for you, and uh, whenever I can, I'll help you get to the blanket for your sister's funeral. I had to call my mom and said, can't come. And it was a disappointing time for all of us. He mentioned death. 
said it would be wonderful. I could say, oh, that guy became a Christian and today he's leading the church. I'm like, wrong. He's not. In fact, he ended up staying in his drugs, he ended up staying in his sin, and as far as we know to this day, he's still a drug addict, which is still a lot. Last I heard from him, he was going to the, Betsy was a pharmacy technician, he was going to the Walmart pharmacy in Brownwood trying to get free drugs.